0: All right. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this book of Genesis, Lord, that we have been uh, working our way through. It looks like it's going to take us about five different uh, sections to get through the book in its entirety. And so, Father, as we transition from 1 John uh, back to Genesis, Lord, and and, and really shift gears, um, uh, going from an epistle to to this historical narrative book, Lord, it's a it teaches in a very different way. And so, Father, we, we pray that today as we re-engage with Genesis and we are introduced to Isaac, we pray, Father, that you would um, help us to, uh, to, to catch up with where we are in Genesis, that we would get lost in the story. And we pray, Father, as we look at this story, that by your Spirit you would uh, speak to us individually, Lord, that you would show us, Um, applications that we can apply uh, to our individual lives. Uh, We thank you for the story of redemption that's found in Genesis, that ultimately uh, through these patriarchs, uh, the person of Jesus would come, the promised Messiah, in whom we have redemption, in whom we have hope. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 25. Verses 19 through 20. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Arminian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramian to be his wife. And so, Father, we do thank you for this passage. We ask that you would lead us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're back in Genesis to sort of the, to catch up with us with where we've been, sort of where we're going. Uh, so far, we have done two sections of Genesis. We did the first section of chapters 1 through 11. It's sort of the the creation account, the very beginning, sort of uh, God describing uh, the the origins of of the world and how he... Uh, framed everything. We, we covered that and then we took a break. And for the life of me, I can't remember what book we went through during that break. I, maybe Colossians? I don't know. Maybe something different. And then we came back to Genesis and then we went through chapters 12 through 25 and we covered the life of, of Abraham. And so we went through, uh, his life and sort of covered everything about him. And so when we got to chapter 24, we sort of followed the thread of Abraham, but we I did as best I could to sort of uh, skip over Isaac, but their lives are obviously so intertwined. So today we're kind of going back and following the other thread of Isaac. And so today we find ourselves starting the third section of Genesis, and we're going to cover uh, the life of Isaac and Jacob, the two next patriarchs, um, that will take us up to chapter 36, Of Genesis, and then we'll take a break. And right now, I think we're going to do Ephesians. I know for some of you, you care about like where are we going for next year. Uh, And then after Ephesians, by September, we'll get back in and we'll look at the final patriarch, and we'll go through Joseph. That will probably take us to the end of the year. And so, when we look at today's passage, there's two verses there. It's not today's passage, but it's the sort of the, the the lead in today's story. So we see, now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. So in Genesis, uh, the the author, who we believe is Moses, they sort of set a, a transition. There's super overlap. Uh, by chapter 25, the beginning, we see that Abraham died, but he actually kind of lives uh, chronology, chron- chronologically into the story, although the author says, okay, his time is done. Now we're focusing on Isaac, the, the next uh, patriarch of the Bible. And so he says, these are the generations of Isaac that were beginning this new section. Isaac was Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And then the next section became becomes very wordy. And if you sort of delete some words and you can read the flow of thought, it says, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife is basically the flow that Isaac became married and we go wait a minute I don't remember like Isaac and he married and that's why we're we're going to go back and look at that story. But as we get to Isaac we have to remember some key points about Abraham. Abraham is this super important figure within the Old Testament, he's referenced throughout the New Testament. Uh he is this man of faith, Paul would reference him and in uh, Romans chapter 4, saying God's dealing with humanity has always been by faith. It's never been by works. And we see that Abraham was made sort of complete or redeemed or stand his, his position before God wasn't based on his works. It was based on his response to God by faith. He certainly was not a perfect man. He made a lot of mistakes. But in Genesis chapter 12 and 15, we see that God gives the Abrahamic covenant, that Abraham, through his through his seed, his through his line, uh, the Messiah would come. Uh, as his life goes on and on, and he gets older and older and older and up in age, and he has a wife who is barren, and he looks to God and he says, you have promised me uh, these great promises through my seed, but I have no son. Right now, if I was to die, it's going to go to... to to the servant in my house, Abimelech, and I don't, Lord, I'm, I'm walking with you, and I want to see your promise fulfilled. Uh, we tried to do it our way, and that didn't go well. And then God delivers a promised child, Isaac, through his barren wife in their old age, and Isaac is born. Isaac goes through his life. He's, he's raised up. He was probably a little bit older than we have in our minds, not a child, but think teenager, young adult, And God says, I need you to go make a sacrifice. And so he takes uh, Isaac up to the mountain, and he's prepared to sacrifice him. He has a knife up, and just as he's about to execute his son, the ram appears, and God provides an alternate. uh, alternate. Uh, And we see that Abraham did this by faith. The author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed so deeply and so devoutly in God's word That he believes that even if he killed his son, God would be faithful and raise Isaac from the dead so that God would fulfill his promise. Now, God stopped it uh, from, from, stopped that from happening. And uh, the story continues to unfold. We see in that, I think, that not only did Abraham demonstrate faith, I think Isaac was at the age where he had to demonstrate a little bit of faith too because he recognized going up to the mountain like, "Hey dad, we got everything for a sacrifice except for the thing to be sacrificed." And uh uh you're not thinking me, are, you know, kind of. And certainly he could have fought his dad off at that age. And but yet he lets his dad bind him to be the sacrifice. And in this Isaac sort of becomes a type of Christ, this picture in the Old Testament that this Messiah would come offer the sacrifice. And the story continues to unfold. Um, Sarah, Abraham's wife, eventually dies. Abraham recognizes that his life is nearing the end. Uh, we read verses 19 through 20 in Genesis chapter 25, but if we were to go back to the beginning and we we see uh, sort of that, that, that Abraham dies. Um, but as we back up the story to, to 24... I'm kind of setting the stage here. We're going to go back to 24. We're going to look at verses 10 through 67. It's a very long section uh, within Genesis. Um, in the beginning part of chapter 24, Abraham is concerned. His wife has died, and he knows his life is short. He knows his son. All of the promises sort of fall on his son. And so he's concerned that his son gets a, a wife who is godly, uh, who is not from the area. They're in this area of pagans, this land that God has promised. Uh, and so he tells his servant, I need you to go back to my home country. I need you to um, find somebody from my relatives to marry my son. And so obviously the, the servant has some questions. Like, hey, this is really great and all, but what if I go there and they're saying, no way, Jose, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> like, and so they kind of go through sort of the protocol. And so we pick up the story in verse 10. And we're covering a lot of verses. My prayer is that we just sort of get into the story and we see beautiful things within the story. Uh, but as a teacher, it's very difficult because this isn't like the, the New Testament or epistle where it's like, hey, these are clear instructions These are what you're not to do. This is what you're supposed to do. And these are the applications from these things that I say to you. Uh, This is uh, a story that unfolds. We see God. We see these individuals. We see how they relate to God. And there are are sort of principles that are caught from the story that we can apply to our lives. And so my prayer is that as we go through this, God would uh, meet you in the midst of the story and encourage you uh, as we go through this. So we pick up at verse 10. Then the servant, we believe that this is Eliezer, the, the servant back before Isaac came, that was the sort of the chief guy that would have been the recipient of all of the inheritance of Abraham. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master, that's Abraham, and he set out with a variety of good things in his, of his master's in hand, and he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Okay. So he's like, okay, I understand my marching orders. I'm going to go. I'm going to need 10 camels. I'm going to load it up with supplies and gifts and things that I can do. He goes from basically the southern part of modern-day Israel, and he's going to travel all the way up um, to, to modern-day Iraq, the northern country up there. We see that he goes to the city of Nahor. Now, if we were to go back, let's see if I can remember where, and back in chapter 22, at the very end of chapter 22, uh we read in verse 20. Now it came after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, Behold, Milka also has borne children to your brother Nahor. And then there's a whole bunch of people listed. The only person that was really of concern to us is Rebekah. Rebekah is listed in that genealogy. And so previously Abraham got word he has a brother, Nahor. Nahor had a bunch of kids. And there were some girl kids in there. And so this kind of is where the servant is to go. Go to my family. Go to this place. Uh, there's going to be, hopefully, ideally, a girl from within this community that meets all of the requirements. Bring her back. And so he finds himself in Iraq. Uh, this is about a 450-mile journey, más o menos. Uh, so imagine having to walk up to San Francisco. That's basically for us. Like He's going to walk up to San Francisco He's going to spend some time there and then he's going to walk back, hopefully with a fish he caught. You know, like that's that's the, the plan. So he gets up there. He made the camels kneel, verse 11, outside of the city at the well of water at evening time, a time when the women go out to draw water. And so this is a very, uh, a very unusual thing to see a camel sit, sit down. Have you guys seen camels sit down? They're like, Melanie, you're going to give an example? No, no, I thought Melanie was like, but it's like super awkward. I hate riding camels. Like, this is like the one thing in the Israel trip, you get an opportunity to ride a camel. I always try to get out of it, and I never get out of it. It's miserable. But they kind of like go down, and then they kind of like are doing their stuff. It's it's horrible. And then they're down, and then they're kind of like pinned down there, and it takes them forever to get back up. And, and so he gets them all down. And this isn't like there's a water fountain at the edge of town. Like what this is is be on the edge of town, and there'd be a cistern, and a cistern has a bunch of steps down, and you go down there. It's like this huge process uh, to, to get water even on an individual uh, basis. And so he gets the, the camels there. They're sitting down. It's a time of the day when it's starting to cool down. We're told that this is when uh, the women begin to come out to draw waters for their family. And he's hoping to get a nibble. I mean this is like he's got a big plan. he's got a whole plan he's going to tell us his plan verse 12. He's going to tell God very specifically what his plan is. He said, "Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham." The camels are sat down, he begins to pray to God. Throughout Genesis, you see a whole bunch of firsts that happen through Genesis. Um, I didn't notice this on my own. Of course not. I noticed this from a commentator. A couple commentators said, this is a first that happens in Scripture. It's fascinating. And I'm glad for the people who notice things like this. But apparently, this is the first time in Scripture that an individual prays to God and asks for guidance in their situation. And so he comes and he acknowledges God, the God of Abraham, and he says, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. I do think we can draw a principle from his example, at least in the first part. I don't know that I can endorse the second part, but I can't say the second part is wrong. Um, but God wants us to sort of seek him and ask him, like, Lord, I'm, I, I'm faced with this decision. Would you give me peace? Would you give me contentment? Would you lead me in the direction I should go with a spouse, with a job, with a you fill in the blank, that God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be involved in our lives. And here this individual is all set up, and he's there looking for a wife, and he asks God, please help me. But now he goes on, just in case God wasn't clear about the circumstance. Verse 13. Okay, God, behold, uh, I'm the guy that's standing by the spring. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Like, this is what's happening. This is still his prayer. Now may it be that the girl whom I say, please let your jar down that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. So certainly you can ask God in detail. And he might deliver this way. This is like, the, there's not a whole lot of examples. There's a couple examples in scripture where people get very specific requests. There's this one. I think of Gideon. Gideon's one, like God's like, hey, you got to go do some stuff. And he's like, okay, well, let's, God, I'm going to like, uh, I'm going to put a blanket out. Like, let's just imagine it was last night. I'm going to go put a blanket out of my yard where it rained three inches last night. When I wake up in the morning, if that blanket is perfectly dry, then I know you want me to do that. He goes out the next morning, it's perfectly dry. He's like, okay, okay, God, we're going to do this again. I'm not, I'm still not sure. Okay, tonight there's no rain. I'm going to set my, bl- that same blanket out there, no rain, and let it be perfectly wet. And it happens. And he's like, okay, I guess you're behind this. So there's a couple of times where people pray like these like very specific sort of conditions and then God does these things. Certainly God can do this. Um, I found in my life, God's a little bit more vague and deliver- Like, there's a little bit more faith on my part. Like, I really sense that God's moving a certain way and I kind of step out by faith and then he begins to put things together. And certainly I've heard people say, like, I asked that God would do this and God did that and it was kind of gave him the peace. Um, it's just a wild prayer. I mean, he's like, here I am. Everything, everything is set up. He's asking God as hard as right. In verse 15, we read, before he had finished speaking, uh, behold, Rachel, Rebecca, excuse me, Rebecca, uh, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, came out with her jar on 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 her shoulder. Now we get all of the names. This is commentary that's added after the story. He certainly doesn't know. He just sees a girl coming out, that has everything sort of, that, that is this the one? Is this going to work out? Certainly he knew in the moment, verse 16, <laughs> the girl was very beautiful. He's like, okay, this is looking good. No pun intended. Um, a virgin, no man had had relations with her, and she went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. So she went down into the reservoir, she got her water, and she came up. Then the servant seemed a little aggressive, and he ran to meet her. And he said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. She's like, okay, I'm thirsty. Can I have some of your water? I'm a visitor. How's she going to respond? She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Now, this is a great task. I have no idea. I've never watered a camel. Um, but from what I've read, each camel could drink upwards of like 25 gallons of water. And I don't know how, like I know how much a gallon of milk weighs. Well, I don't know exactly. I can't tell you how much a gallon of milk weighs, but I can tell you how much it feels like in my hand. And I know from Costco, I can carry about four of those bad guys. Like if I want to double up, I know I can get two in each hand. And so if that's four. And we don't like what seven camels. So some have suggested that this could be like fifty to hundred trips down this well. So this isn't like she's just going to go get the hose and fill up a trough and they're all going to drink. This is a this is a huge thing that she just did. And I'm imagining the serpent just thinking like, no way. The first one, she's beautiful. She's got water. She offered me water. She offered to, to water the camels. And then we just read, meanwhile, the the man is gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord made his journey a successful one or not. And he's going, what did I pray? What did I ask? This is just happening. Could this possibly be the one? Like, he laid out all of these conditions. The girl seems to be, like, to the T, doing everything that he had asked of God. And he's just there, stunned. This is too good to be true. Um. And when the camels had finished drinking, verse 22, the man took a gold ring, weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing 10, uh, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me there is room for us in the lodge in your father's house. Where did you come from? Who's your dad? Can I stay with you guys? <laughs> like, like, he's got to like, we have some business to talk about, Um and so she's very hospitable. She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel. I'm imagining all the bells and whistles like, oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who she bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. This is perfect. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. So in the midst of her, her response, he just falls on his face and he worships God, he gives thanks to God. I think here there's a point of application that, like, so often we pray, God delivers, and then we forget, and we don't acknowledge. Um, Like, immediately before they go there, this guy's on his face worshiping God, giving thanks to God. Um, This The the word the Lord or the Lord God or referring to God in this next section... uh, He just appears a whole bunch. The servant sees God's hand sovereignly working through all of the circumstances. He sees how God has provided. While he was praying, the girl shows up, which means like while he was praying, God had already started to deliver his prayer uh, before he even started. Like he just sees that God is actively involved and he's just super overwhelmed. And the man bowed low, low and he worshiped the Lord in verse 26. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master as for me the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. He's saying God has led me this way, he's fulfilled everything that he said he would and he's just in awe of God. Verse 28, and the girl ran and told her brother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother Whose name was Laban. We'll come to learn about Laban later. Laban's not necessarily the greatest guy. Uh, scripture seems to, he records that he seems to care about money and uh, making wealth. Um, he's the nephew of Abraham, and we'll see he's going to be the one just as a teaser to, down the future. Uh, Rebecca. And Isaac are going to have some twins, and then one of those boys is going to go to marry one of his daughters and He does the old trickkaroo and offers a second daughter and it 's sort of a whole twisted story and if you 're doing the Bible reading plan, you read the story this morning about him trying to break up with his father in law um, so but we 're introduced to Laban so Laban, uh, whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the men of the spring i 'm sure he was very interested. his sister now has uh, gold and jewelry, and is like, hey, who's this guy that's giving out free gifts? Let's go talk to him. Um, uh, verse 30, when he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me. He went to the man, and behold, he, w- he was standing by the camels at the spring, and he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house and then Laban unloaded the camels and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with them. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, that's the servant, I will not eat until I have told my business. So they are all excited about everything. They take care of the camels. They get to put away in their pens or however you care for a camel. They feed them. They wash them. They get everybody ready to come inside. They have dinner to be served for the servant and then the guys that are with him. And it's going to be this wonderful feast. And the servant says, time out. Before we start feasting, I'm here on business, and I need to talk to you about what's happening. Let's resolve the business at hand, and then we can have the celebration. And the guy said, okay, speak on. So he said, the servant, now he's going to recap everything. So we're going to get a double dose of what happened. He says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. I can just see Laban going, sounds good, good, good. This is wonderful. Okay. Um, He has become rich and he has given, and he, God, has given him, Abraham, flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys now Sarah, my master's wife, bore him a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. Now you probably don't remember Abraham had other children. There were there were some from the, the, the midwife and the midwife, the maidservant or whatever, the girl. And then after Sarah died, he remarried and he had like seven more sons, but in that he said all of his inheritance, everything that he had, was going to Isaac. Everything was going to Isaac. And so he says to Laban, I can see we he's saying to Laban. Laban seems to be transitioning of power, getting ready to take over for his father's house. He's saying, like, so everything that Abraham has has been willed in an irrevocable will to Isaac. So this guy that I'm about to set your daughter up with, she's going to be okay. See, oh, this is good. This is, uh, we like this. Laban, I think. Verse 37, my master made me swear saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whom the land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. He said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my relatives from my father's house And then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. And if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So he recognizes, hey, God's going to be going through. He's going to be taking care of everything. But if they don't follow through, you're free. You're not going to be held responsible. Verse 42. So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord God of my master, Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she will say to me, you drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed to my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with the jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew and I said to her, please, please, Let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, I will water your camels also. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? So he kind of recap. he's like, so there I was, I was at the spring, I came in after this long journey, my, that my master sent me on. I went there, I sat down the camels, and then lo and behold, here comes Rebecca. I say to Rebecca, can I get a sip of water? She says, here's a sip of water, now let me feed your camels also. And he's like, there I am worshiping God, everything's coming together, and I said, who, do, who's your family? And now we're here, and I'm talking to you, this is how all of this came about. And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him, and I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. So I know that you're related to Abraham. This Ab- Nahor and Abraham are brothers, so you're of the family of clan. You fit the descendants that God has promised. And I bowed low, and I worshiped the Lord, and I blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Everything has been set. Look at what God has done. All of these things that God has done. And then in verse 49, it's sort of like we're, this is something that's beyond our thinking, beyond our understanding. It's something that like Christians like argue and fight over and everybody has to kind of pick a side or that he feel like they have to pick a side. And I would suggest that we can just say that like both are true. And somehow in our, in our finite thinking, God has the freedom to move in these circles where we're uncomfortable. But so clearly, God has like, through his providence, has set everything up. And then we come to verse 49, and it's all going to hinge on man. So, so, so there's God's sovereignty, but then there's man's responsibility, and somehow these two are commingled, and we don't have a clue how they intertwine. They seem like that they're at odds with one another, and there are people like, well, I believe in the free will of man, or well, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and it's like, we should be in the middle of saying, I believe in both, and I don't know how it works. Because I don't know how it works. That's where I am. I Clearly, God is moving. God has set all these pieces in place. But then we get the servant saying to these guys, so now if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may return to the right or left. He's like, listen, I don't have time to have dinner. Like, I see God's hand all over this. God has provided everything. And I think that she's the one whom God wants to marry. But if you guys are going to say no and if she's not interested... That I'm not going to have dinner. I need to move on. I need to get out my master's business. And so in this moment, he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know. They could have rejected. Like, obviously, we know the story. I imagine Jewish people from all of, like, little kids being told the story of, like, oh, how's Grandma uh, Rebecca going to respond? How's this all going to unfold? And they're getting really excited about it. And so then verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel replied, the matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak bad or good. Like, we can't even comment. Clearly, God's hand is in this, and so we just kind of surrender. Here is Rebecca before you take her. Uh, here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Before you get all up in arms, that she doesn't have a say. She has a say. It's coming. Um, I heard at least a couple laughs there. Um, <clears throat> when Rebe- When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the lord again he worships god gives god thanks for delivering uh, in this circumstance the servant brought out the articles of silver and the articles of gold and the garments and he gave them to rebecca and he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother then he and the men who were with them ate and drank and spent the night when they arose in the morning he said send me away to my master but her brother and her mother said, let the girls stay with us just a few days, say 10, afterwards she may go. So he's saying, okay, I'm here on a mission. I got my overnight, but it's time to sort of get back to my master. I'm not here to like vacation or have a party. So he's like, please let, let me go. And so the mom and the brother are like, hey, can you just give her some time, like 10 days? I think some suggested it could be a, a longer period of time. Um, So they're sort of, they're pleading for some time. And as soon as I find my place, we will continue here. Um, Verse 56. He said to them, Do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebecca and they said to her, Will you go with this man? So here she is. She has her own faith story. They they understand who God is. They understand how this is all working. They certainly understand the situation at hand. Um, we think of San Francisco as being just a $39 flight on Southwest Airlines, a short distance, but to them, this is like a whole country, a different place. This is equivalent of somebody like rolling in from Europe and saying, I want to marry your daughter. Will you send your daughter away to Europe? It's going to be very difficult to see her. Rebecca understands uh What's being asked of her? And they say, what do you think about this? And she, by faith, says, yes, I'll go. And so she goes. Verse 59, they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham, Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of tens of thousands and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them so in this they understand the abrahamic covenant they understand that god spoke to abraham and said this land will be for your people and that through your seed uh, you you can't count like the stars in the sky or the sand that's in the ground that this promise of god has come to her and they recognize this they say uh, may you be thousands of tens of tens of thousands, and your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Abraham lived in a spot of land that God said, this is all yours, but none of it was his. He was able to negotiate a little tiny like spot of land that you can go visit today where he could bury his wife, but that's all he had. But they understood that God was doing something, and Rebekah responds, by faith to go. And so in verse 61, then Rebekah arose with her maids, they mounted the camels and they followed the man and the servant took Rebecca and departed and they began their journey from San Francisco down to San Diego, uh, 450 miles. And so this would take some time. And then all of a sudden we get closer in verse 62. Uh, this is a, this is a love story. We don't get very much about it, but we do know that it seems most people believe that there's not a lot of drama between these two individuals, Isaac and Rebecca would fall in love. Um, they would have a happy marriage with very little drama that we can tell about from, from the Bible. In verse 62, now Isaac had come from had come from going to uh, Beer, Lahai, Roy, for he was living in the Negev. So the Negev is the very southern part of Israel, think like Jerusalem being the very northern edge, and then all the way down south next to the Dead Sea. That's the Negev, so he's down south. Um, Isaac went out to meditate. Uh, this word meditate is sort of a, a, a tricky word. It can be interpreted a bunch of different ways. So it could be that he was out praying. It could be that he was out pondering. It could be that he was just out for like an evening stroll, kind of figuring out what's going on. And so here he is. Um, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening and he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, the camels were coming. All of a sudden, he sees the party coming, like, oh, man, I wonder what happened. Is he empty-handed? Does he, did he come back with a wife for me? There's, I'm imagining just all kinds of questions. And now we move from Isaac over to Rebecca. Verse 64, Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, and she said to the servant, uh, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? Like, who's that young guy over there? This is like, and the servant said, he is my master. Then she took her veil and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. I'm surprised he doesn't recount the whole story that we have to go through the whole thing all over again. Like, uh, but, but this is like, it's like, why didn't he do this in the first place? But, th- that here he just, he recounts the whole story again. But I imagine he's super like hopped up, like, can you believe I went out there and then I set down the camels and then I prayed this way and then this girl comes and she offers me water. She gets, and he goes through the whole story all over again. And I just imagine Isaac is like, wow. Then Isaac brought her into her mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. And it's beautiful little like those three where he loved her. Uh, one commentator I read said, that nowhere else in the story of Isaac did he ever say that he never loved her like that he ever came back on his decision to love her that this this is one of those happy unions of a of a marriage where they loved each other now he did some stupid stuff like he said he was his sister one time uh we'll cover that when we cover that but he loved her and thus Isaac was comforted after the mother his mother's death so he was like saddened by his mom's death and there's so much that's sort of written into this. Sarah had died, the, the matriarch of, of, of Israel, or what would become of all the promises. She now takes on this role of, of being the matriarch. Uh, then the author of Genesis and Genesis 25, uh, basically the, the verses that we covered last time, we see Abraham's death. And so it's just this beautiful story. And like, what do we, like, what do, we do with this passage? The Old Testament has some super fun stories, and they're fun stories and awkward stories and uncomfortable stories uh, that we will cover. They teach very differently, but they t- they do teach, and they, they show us things. And today, what I see in this story is here we see this first example of an individual who's at a sort of a crossroads, that he has a decision, he has something that's before him that he needs to accomplish. And what he does is he falls down before God, and he says, God, I need help. Now, he tacks on a bunch of very specific things, and I'm not encouraging you, if you're single and you want to get married, that you say, you know what, I'm just longing for a really a, 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 a blonde-haired guy with a receding hairline, uh, blue eyes, a little bit chubbier, that's got a funny personality. That was Anna's prayer, and, you know, it was delivered, <laughs> it's like, but but we see that that he's praying and he's got, Lord, lead me. And then we see that God actually is leading. So we might not need to follow that same formula, but we do see that God is there hearing and responding and delivering in, in a way that's, that, that's hard to even begin to understand. We see the sovereignty of God, that as he's praying, God's already delivering and working these things together. And we, we see this in our own lives. God's working through circumstances and situations that you can't understand. And then you make decisions. And somehow, as you make decisions, God's hand is there to kind of meet you, and it's over. Like, I, all I can think of, like, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man is is Paul on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. This is one of those stories that has touched my heart uh, deeply, coming from, like, a home where there was a lot of abuse. A real, my mom was super religious, but she was super abusive, and, abras- like, abrasive is a nice way to say what she was and I had to testify against her in court, and having to grapple with, like, how is there a loving God in the midst of this circumstance? It's very difficult. And yet through that circumstance, God moved. And so in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, I'm not going to read it, but it basically says that we each have been placed where we've been placed because God has placed you there, and the circumstances and the limitations on your life, because that's the sweet spot for you to then reach out to him that you might find him and, and discover that he's been there the whole time. And so in the midst of this story of redemption, this, sto- this beautiful story that really is the, the, the beginning of Jesus, who is the Christ that would make up the, 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 or bring into completion the redemption story of the Bible, we see that in these people's lives. We see God moving We see man having the opportunity to reject or respond. They reject or respond in a beautiful way, excuse me. They respond by faith. They give us an example of trusting God, kind of walking by faith and allowing him to move in the midst of it. And I am confident that as I go through the story that God is moving today in my life and in your life and our church life. He, He cares about your salvation. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, He's gone through great lengths to bring about uh, a Savior who is worthy and is capable and is able to bring you in to an eternal relationship with himself. He cares about your day-to-day affairs. It's not like there's some abstract God that's way out there and has just spun everything up and, and how things turn out is how they turn out. We're told throughout the Bible that we have this God who cares about the intimate details of our life, And he desires this relationship and to seek him. Throughout the scriptures, we see that God wants us to talk to him. That is prayer. And as we talk to him, he responds and he moves. And so as we close in prayer, I pray that God would draw you in closer, wherever you are, that he would deepen his relationship with you and that you would experience him in the same way that the servant of Abraham experienced him. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. God, I thank you that you are a personable God, that you desire a relationship with us, an intimate relationship with, you, with us. That as we've gone through 1 John recently and we are reminded of this koinonia, this intimate fellowship, this relationship that is made possible through Christ, Father, we pray that as we go about our days, we ask, Lord, that you would bring us to our knees in seeking you, uh, through little decisions, through big decisions, that as we go about our day, that we would just be talking to you in our minds and our hearts, knowing that you hear hear us, knowing that you are responding uh, through difficult times, uh, through good times. And we pray, Father, that you would increase our faith, that regardless of whatever life throws at us, whatever the circumstances are, that we would understand that you're sovereign and that you're in control. And any crisis or any problem that we face, it's not bigger than you. And we can rest easy knowing that you are moving in the midst of it. Lord, help us to say yes to you through whatever circumstance you are uh, orchestrating in our lives. We thank you, Lord, uh, for our friendship with you. We thank you that you have saved us through Christ's work on the cross. We love you, Lord. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen.